We're in Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 45. Hear then the Word of God. In those days Mary arose and she went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and she greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And Why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we have gathered this Christmas morning to worship. We have gathered this morning because You so loved the world that You gave Your only Son, that we who would believe in Him, who would put our faith in Him, would not perish, but we would have everlasting life and a fullness of joy. So we gather this morning longing to know life and to be filled with the fullness of Your Spirit and the joy that is ours in Christ. These things we ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Christianity is about the fullness of joy. The Bible is very clear that joy is at the center of what it means to come to know Christ and to be reconciled to God. That one of the things, one of the great gifts that God gives us in that is joy, is happiness. Not the fleeting moments of happiness that depend on the circumstances of our lives that come and go and rise and fall, but that deep abiding sense of well-being, that deep abiding sense of God's love and care for us, whatever this life brings. Knowing that even in those moments when we face the next world, that we face it with joy, without fear. The Bible is very clear that this deep undercurrent in our lives should be joy. It's at the very center of our tradition and makes it very clear when, uh, when the, uh, I guess those who are putting together our, what we hold as our documents, our theological documents of, of who we are and what we believe. The Westminster Shorter Catechism and uh, Confession asks the first question, what is the chief end of man? Why do we exist? What is, what is our purpose in life? And the answer comes back to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Right? So very, in the very core, I love how those two come together. It's not, it is about the glory of God first and foremost, who He is, and, 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 and finding our lives shaped around the purpose of bringing Him glory and honor by how we live and who we are but it's tied so tightly and so closely and so immediately with this idea that we are to find our joy in Him forever. That that's what it means to know and to love Christ. To bring glory to God and to find our joy in Him forever. Joy, happiness is something that everyone is looking for. We are wired for it. Every human being, whether they know it or not, one way or another, is intensely and passionately every day Looking to be happy. Looking for joy. Looking. Seeking. Because we want to be happy. But few truly find the deep, abiding, lasting 
joy because only God can give it. We catch glimpses of it. We catch glimpses of it in our relationships and in our best moments. We catch glimpses of it in our marriages and with our children and in our homes and so many places where we get a, a taste of it. But it's elusive. It's hard to hold on to, to wrap our fingers around. It can't last forever. It slips away from us. Life changes and moves on and we look in the wrong places. But the birth of Jesus Christ offers us a deep and abiding source of joy that is still available to us today. Joy was experienced in the very first moments of Jesus' conception by everyone who meets Him. I love that at the center of this story is this experience of joy in the encounter with Christ. In verse 39, it tells us that in those days Mary arose and she went with haste to the hill country, to a town of Judah. When it says in those days, it means very soon after she had this encounter with Gabriel, that Gabriel announces to her that she's going to be pregnant, that she's going to have this child and informs her that he will be the son of the Most High God. Tells her that she is going to bear into the world the presence of God, Emmanuel. She gets this message and she packs up and she heads for the hills. Right? She heads to her family. She goes to visit her relative Elizabeth. There's a lot of speculation about why Mary goes to see Elizabeth and she goes so immediately that she gets this message and she heads for the hills. You know, Some have suggested that Mary heads for the hills because she wants to leave town. Uh, Because her pregnancy is going to cause a stir. She's going to be showing soon. The pregnancy is going to become public. It's not something that's easily explained. It's not something that is easy to help people to understand what's going on. It can be scandalous. No one would believe her story. I don't know that I would have believed her story. Would you believe her story? You know, it is, it is an amazing, it's the kind of thing that only God does. It's a surprising invasion of life in a way that for us, if we actually encounter something like it, we would have difficulty believing it. So she may have gone to avoid some of that initial whispering and gossip, some of the initial judgmental glances that she might get in town. She needed to go and spend some time coming to grips with what God was doing in her life. But another reason she may have gone, and I think is probably as close to the truth as anything, is that she wanted to go and talk to Elizabeth. She wanted to go and to connect with someone else who was going through something very similar to what she was going through. We all love to be able to connect with someone who knows what we're going through. Both of these families had had an encounter with an angel. You know, an encounter, as I said, that other people would scarcely believe, much less understand, an encounter with an angel that both uh, resulted in unexpected and miraculous pregnancies. Mary was pregnant before most women, while she was still a virgin. Elizabeth is pregnant after most women, while she was barren. God has come into their lives and done something very unique. And Gabriel had told Mary about Elizabeth. And so, as soon as Mary gets the news, I think she heads to talk to Elizabeth about it. She wants to talk to someone who will get it. She wants to, you know, it's one of those things that you really want to 
be understood. You want someone to know what you're going through. The craziness of what has invaded her life. The craziness of what she's about to endure in her community. The angelic visitation. The unexpected pregnancy. The prophecy. Jesus, Son of David, Son of God. So she goes to talk to someone who gets it. Someone who is going to be able to identify with what she is going through. And she really does. I mean, it is amazing as she walks through the door in verse 40, it says as she enters the house, it doesn't seem like she had sent word on ahead. It seems like she just went unannounced. She shows up. They're not really waiting for her or prepared for her. But it says as she enters the house of Zechariah and greets Elizabeth, and Elizabeth heard the greeting in Mary and the uh, heard the greeting of Mary and the baby in her womb leaps. So there's this glad meeting between these two expectant mother Mary shows up and Elizabeth has an intense spiritual response. It's not just the, the joy or the surprise at meeting a relative who has come to visit. There's something intensely spiritual that goes on in that moment, in that greeting. Where Elizabeth is overwhelmed, we're told, with the Holy Spirit. She's filled with the Holy Spirit. She greets not just Mary as her family, not just Mary as a visitor, but she greets Mary as the bearer of Messiah. She has a prophetic insight. She has a prophetic understanding as she encounters Mary on this morning. In verse 42, she goes on and says, as she is filled with the Holy Spirit, she exclaims with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is it granted to me? Why am I so blessed that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Blessed is she who believes. She's filled with this prophetic word. And under the direction and power of the Holy Spirit, she she delivers a series of beatitudes. These blessed statements uh, that we find at so many different points. And what the Spirit inspires in Elizabeth is really a song. It's not set, away, set apart that way, but it's, it's poetic in what she delivers. It's a poetic, prophetic utterance uh, speaking into Mary's life again. The glory and the power of what God is doing. G. Campbell Morgan writes and says that it was the last poetic voice of the old economy. And it greeted the new one. The voice of a daughter of the priestly line singing at the advent of Him for whom the old had looked and sighed and sobbed and waited. It's the first truly New Testament song. It's the first truly New Testament response to the coming of Christ. So that when Jesus walks through her door, so to speak, in Mary's womb, that she has this New Testament response to Messiah. A fulfillment, a response of joy. Blessed are you, she delivers these series of beatitudes. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. I would say she's not, not only is she blessed and the fruit of her womb blessed, but I would say she's blessed because of the fruit of her womb. This is what makes Mary so blessed. Because of the child she bears. Burton says it is easy to see the mother's honors are but the far-off reflections from the child. Mary is not the awesome one. And sometimes I think that those who read the stories and 
come across and uh, bump into Mary in this blessed position, end up thinking she is the awesome one in the story. But she is not. She is blessed because she has chosen to carry the awesome one. She is awesome only on behalf of her baby. Elizabeth marvels at the blessing that she is given. Granted to her that the mother of my Lord, she says, should come to me. This is an elderly wife of a priest. A priest of Israel. An honored position. A leader in the community. And so she is an elderly wife of a priestly line. And she is blessing and paying homage to this teenage girl that walks into her house. Right? It's really an unusual scene for someone of her age and stature and position. For Mary to come through her door, this teenager, and for her to to explode in this homage and blessing of this young girl. But it's all about Jesus, really. She's essentially saying, not only are you blessed, but I am blessed, and we're all blessed for the same reason. That the Lord Jesus has come to us. That the Lord Jesus has arrived. The Messiah is here. As great as Elizabeth's son would be, and if you remember the encounter that that Zechariah had with Gabriel, and Gabriel revealed to her that she would have a son who would come in the power and the spirit of Elijah, that he would be a forerunner of Messiah, that he would be in his own right a great man, that he would do amazing things and play an astounding role in the life of Israel. And Elizabeth has in her own heart and has been treasuring these things for six months now, meditating on this son that God has given to her. And as great as her son will be, she immediately recognizes is given the insight as Mary comes through the door. As great as her son will be, one greater has come. Burton also says, the mother, when she says, the mother of my Lord, as one hails the morning star, not so much for its own light, as for its promise of a much greater light. The day spring that is behind it. So Elizabeth salutes the morning star of the new dawn at the same time paying homage to the sun whose near approach the star heralds. In other words, she blesses Mary on behalf of the one she bears. The one who is coming. For the sake of the coming child. For the son of righteousness that she brings to the world. It is amazing that there is no skepticism in Elizabeth. There's no judgment in Elizabeth. Right? In the moments that she sees Mary and she knows that she's pregnant and without a word passing between them, that's I think one of the reasons, as we said, that she went to see Elizabeth. She would get it. She would understand. She would embrace her. They together could come to grips with what God was doing in their lives. And that they could, in a sense, find strength in each other. Mary is going to have to return home and face the crowds. Face the town. Face the whispers. Face the glances. But they meet and they find strength in each other. There's no skepticism here. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, she knows Mary's baby. She knows what God is doing. When Elizabeth calls Mary's baby, my Lord. And it's an amazing thing. Why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come 
When she says, my Lord, she means the Lord. The Lord who is her Lord. Who is the Lord of life. Who is the Lord of righteousness. Who is the Lord Himself. God becoming flesh. The Word became flesh in the womb of Mary and dwelt among us. My Lord. Under the inspiration of the Spirit, she means exactly what the angel told Mary. That He would be the Son of David. That He would be the Son of the Most High God. Morgan says, G. Campbell Morgan, not our Morgan. Morgan says, and maybe Morgan would say this, (laughs) Mary was God's tabernacle. When it says that He took on flesh, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. And, and, and we know that that refers to the body that He took, that God took a body that He took on, a, in a sense, a temporary tent of human flesh. But before, before He was free from, from that, that He tabernacled, Mary was His tabernacle. Mary was God's tabernacle. And the One dwelling within her was the Lord of life and the Lord of glory. Blessed is Mary in the fruit of Mary's womb. He is the Son of David, the longed-for Messiah who would grow up. And all the rest of the stories that follow, He would grow up and He would live that life that you and I fail to live every day. That He would live that life that you and I were called to live and we know that we fall short of, that we fall short of the glory of God and He came and He lived that perfect life and He was willing then to lay that perfect life down on our behalf that He, would, that he Himself would bear the cross and then find Himself on that cross. That he Himself would bear in His own body our sin so that He could put it away. So that He could bring forgiveness and mercy into the lives of God's people. That He would pay the penalty of our sin to save us and to reconcile us to God. She says in her last beatitude in 45, Blessed is she who believed. Blessed is he, she who believed that there would be a fulfillment. That it's true. That Jesus is the Son of the Most High God. That she believed. Blessed is she. It's interesting in this last beatitude, in this last verse, she switches from the second person to the third person. She's been saying, blessed are you. Blessed is your, your child. Blessed. All in the second person, speaking of Mary, in this last one, she kind of opens it up, takes it back to the third person. Blessed is she who believed. And I believe that she does open it up and there's an opening there for us. An opening there that the rest of the Gospels bear out. Blessed is she who believes. Blessed is he who believes. Blessed is whoever believes that this is the Son of God. That this is. That He is who He says He is. That He has done what He says He came to do. Blessed is she who believes. Blessed is he who puts their faith in Christ. In Mary's baby. Elizabeth believes. She is acknowledging and claiming Mary's child as her own. My Lord, she, she says, while, while the child is barely conceived, My Lord, she believes, Mary believes, all who will put their faith 
Burton says, before her far-seeing and foreseeing vision, valleys are exalted, mountains and hills are made low, that the way of the Lord might appear. Elizabeth sees the unseen Christ and lays before Him the tribute of her song, the treasures of her affection and her devotion. She believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and embraces Him even in the womb. Mary and Elizabeth are the first. God so loved the world that He sent His only Son that whosoever should believe. You know, as I think about this story, for me, one of the first ones, this is the place where I go as we make application, and one of the first as we move into January, we have a Sanctity of Life Sunday. For me, one of the first applications coming out of this text and out of stories like this is a biblical argument against abortion. The, the truth of, we have two babies here who are still in the womb. One in the first trimester and one in the second trimester. Right? These, these babies. One of them, the Lord. You know, the other one, both of them named. Right? Named by who? Named by God. You know, and we might try to back it off and dance around it and say, well, this was a special circumstance and this is... No, the Lord does this. These two, the Lord knows these two this early. He knows all. This is what the Scripture from beginning to end says. Jeremiah said the same thing. When I was still in the womb, you knew me. Before I was born, you had set me apart. Right? God knows these two children. He names them. The mothers know these children. They are not disposable non-human tissue. They're the object of the work and power of the Holy Spirit. And, and these children experience the work of the Holy Spirit. John leaps for joy in the womb. He is affected by the presence of the other child. And the work of the Holy Spirit, not only in the parents, but in the children. And so I want to draw my main point then from one of these babies, from baby John, who under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we see that Elizabeth in response to Mary's coming and really in response to Jesus' coming, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, she responds in joy, but also her baby leaps for joy in the presence of Christ. And I believe that we see here again in infancy, in its very small beginnings, what you will see throughout Jesus' life and throughout the church history and, and from then on in the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the same kind of thing. Before He was even born, at the promise of His coming, He was sending joy into human hearts. Right At the coming of Jesus, it's the coming of joy into the human experience. The restoration of relationship with God. What was broken will be made whole. What was alienated will be brought near. You know, what was far away will be reconciled. And there is the, the restoration and in that relationship with God there is this joy. It's still true that whoever God the Holy Spirit reveals that Mary's child is the Messiah is the Lord Jesus Christ, is the Son of God, to whom the Holy Spirit makes that revelation. If we have eyes to see and ears to hear, if we know, then the response is the same. It always is the same. It is the leap for joy. 
It is a heart that leaps up and, and recognizes that, that my sin can be forgiven, that, that my life can be made whole, that God will accept me, that God will make me righteous and able to stand in His presence, that there's no fear in life or in death. There is a leap of joy to know that we have a Savior. It's still true. It's what everyone is looking for. Everyone wants to be happy. We're searching for it everywhere in life. We're always looking for it. Every day we get up and we start over again trying to be happy one way or another. And whether you know it or not, the things that you're doing, the things that you're pursuing, the things that you're engaging in, you're trying to make yourself happy. The only question is, are you looking in the right place? The only place that it can be truly and eternally found. In giving Jesus Christ to the world, God has gifted us the possibility of joy, real joy, in knowing Him, in loving Him, in walking with Him, and in coming into the fullness of, of a relationship with God through Him. Not only in this life, but He says in an eternal life. The fullness of joy. This is what Jesus came to give us. And sometimes, as, as Christians, I, I wonder if we really know and understand that He intends joy for us. That it was part of His purpose. It's at that core, not only to glorify God, which we sometimes are very intent on, which I think we should, but, but also to be forever finding our joy in Him. Jesus said it when He was here. In John 15.11, He says, These things I've been speaking to you. That, you, that my joy may be in you. Right? These things I've been telling you, this, all that I've been teaching you, all the ways that I have been ministering to you and preparing you for my absence, these things I've been saying that my joy, the joy of God Himself, right, in, in His Son, the joy of God Himself, that my joy would be in you and that your joy would be full. That is my purpose for you, He says. This is, this is the gift that the entire world is desperate to have and is looking for every moment of every day. Jesus says to the Father in John 17 as He's praying, as He knows that His, his time has come, and He says, now I'm coming to You, Father, and these things I am speaking in the world. Why? That they may have My joy fulfilled in themselves. Philippians 4.4, Paul writes and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it. Rejoice. What is he saying? Find your joy in the Lord. That's where it's found. Find your joy in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Find your joy in the Lord. Stop looking in all the other places. Stop digging in all the other wells that we hope to find it to spring up. This is why He came. It's why we exist. We exist to give Him glory and to find our joy in Him. It's why we exist. And the encounter with Him always is the result of joy. And so when the question becomes for me, is it often in my own life and for you, is where is all my joy gone? Where is all your joy gone? And the answer is, it's not that He has ceased to be that infinite source of joy for His people. But that there is something going on in our own hearts. That it is we who move away. First John 5, John writes and he says, Whoever has the Son has life. 
Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. No truer statement has ever been spoken. And I think you can substitute there where it says life. You can substitute the word joy. He who has the Son has joy. And he who does not have the Son of God does not have joy. Not as God intends for us to have it. The only question is, are you looking in the right place? If we've lost our joy, are we trying to find it in our work? See so many folks who, who seek to find their satisfaction and their self-meaning and their self-worth and that sense of well-being by, in their work. I see so many looking for it in their children. Their children will fulfill our lives. Our children grow up and leave. They come home, you know, hopefully at Christmas, as it is, but they, they are not going to they're not going to be that center in the way that we want them to be. Our children can't be it. Our spouse can't be it. Our circumstances, we sometimes look for it in our health and we think if, if only there, then I would be happy or we look for it in approval or whatever it is that you would fill in. If only, then I would be happy. You're looking for your joy there. I can't be happy unless X. You know, or I'm, I, and we long for it. And it says that we're looking in the wrong places and what it ought to do is to turn us around on a... Christmas morning like this, to remember that Jesus is the one that when He enters the room, we leap for joy. And it's only then, it is only then that that fullness can be ours. And so we look again afresh to Jesus. We look to draw close to Him, to abide in Him, so that the life of the vine flows into the branch. The joy that my joy would be in you and your joy would be fulfilled as we drink deeply of the vine. It's the only place that we will find it. And day by day, we need to wake up and, and make sure that we're not looking for it in the wrong places. Will you put your faith and your trust in Jesus? Will you acknowledge Him as your King? Surrender to His Lordship. Trust in Him as your Savior. Give your life to Him as His follower. Look to the One who wants to give you His joy. Sometimes I read 1 Peter 1.8 and I close with this. And it's that which I long to experience in my own life. He says, though you've not seen Him, that's us, you love Him. And though you don't see Him now, you believe. And in believing, you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. We were made for that joy inexpressible and filled with glory in knowing and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when He enters the room, when He enters your life, the possibility of joy comes with Him. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we <clears throat> thank You that You have made us not only for Your glory, that we in the way that we live, that we in knowing You and loving You and seeking to honor You in our lives could bring You glory, but that You also made us that we would find our joy. You've made us for joy. And that that joy is in You. Oh, deliver us from all those things that we are sinking our roots down into as we look for joy somewhere. As we try to be happy. You bring us back again to Jesus that we might abide in Him and drink deeply of the gift that is ours in Christ. We ask and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.